Open your Bibles to Proverbs, please, chapter number 15, Proverbs 15. Last week, we started in this chapter, and uh, we got down uh, through verse number 7, I believe it is. And so that's where, no, through verse 6, so we're going to pick up in verse number 7 tonight. Verse 7, the lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of the foolish doeth not so. Whenever we look through Proverbs over and over again, we see the, the need for wisdom. And as I said at the very beginning, the book of Proverbs shows a contrast between wisdom and folly and good and bad, righteousness and unrighteousness and so forth. And so that's all through the Bible. And it urges us to seek wisdom. And the wise person does just that. They seek after wisdom. The Bible tells us we're to seek after wisdom like it's a, a precious jewel or precious stone, you know, or, 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 or gold or silver, whatever it is. And, uh, you, you, you know, you read those verses, it makes you wonder, am I putting forth that kind of effort for wisdom? You know, we work hard, you know, a lot of times to get a lot of things that we want and maybe even work overtime in order to make a little extra money because we want to buy this or that. But I wonder how much time we spend in seeking after wisdom. But my point is, the wise man doesn't just search after wisdom, but he speaks wisdom also. And that's what he's saying here. The lips of the wise disperse knowledge. You know, it's great to be around someone that... uh, it might not even be a college graduate. It might be they didn't make it through high school, but someone that obviously has a great deal of wisdom. Uh, they might not pronounce all of their words right. They can, you know, come over in my camp. I don't even, but Bev gets on to me, you know, well, you know it's not pronounced that way. Why do you do it? And I say, because I've been doing it, you know, since I was a kid. I can't. I can't be thinking about that whenever I'm preaching. It's just got to come out the way the way that it's been. Uh, and so what I'm saying is we look at people a lot of times and judge them, and, and I, I know folks do. They, uh, they tend to judge you on whether your English is proper or not, or what Bible college did you go to? And you tell them, none, I, I didn't go to Bible college. Really? Well, how can you be a preacher? Well, maybe it's because I started preaching down there in an old rescue mission with a bunch of drunks and what have you and telling them about Jesus and had that experience. You know, there's some things you can't get in college. But I've been around a lot of preachers in my lifetime, got hundreds and hundreds of preacher friends even to this very day and a whole bunch in heaven. But uh, whenever I think about them, and each one, you know, is whenever I the very mention of their name brings up certain thoughts uh, uh, about them. I, I think of some, I think, boy, that guy could, you know, really preach. Or someone else, it might be they were just very knowledgeable of the Bible. Uh, uh, I'm thinking of another preacher friend I had, and he'd preach a whole sermon with his eyes closed. I mean, nearly every time he'd glance down at the Bible once in a while, and the rest of the time it was like this. And I, I thought, how do you communicate with anybody doing that? And uh, I had another friend that... Uh, uh, just uh, th- th- this guy just 
had a sense of humor. He loved jokes. I remember preaching a revival meeting there and going in and, and looking in his library in the shelves and his joke books. I'm one after another. I've never seen so many joke books in my life. And, uh, but I'm saying all that for a reason. Uh, and, and I could mention this fellow's name. He's dead now, but anywhere throughout Kentucky and, and uh, Tennessee... And if I was to ask somebody, what, what did you think about old Leonard Young? They'd say, boy, that guy had more wisdom than anybody I've ever known. You see, you see what I'm saying? You, you know some people like that that are known for their wisdom, known for, for speaking words of wisdom. It's just great to be around people that way because you, you just know before the conversation's over you're going to get some kind of a golden nugget to hang on to that's going to help you through the day. Well, that's one side of the coin, but look at the other side now. But, and so here's the other side of the coin, but the heart of the foolish doth not sow. The fool, as Solomon tells us, speaks often, he speaks loud, and he provides no benefit for other people. I I read something many years ago that you probably heard before. It says, whenever your mind goes blank, don't forget to turn off the sound. And that's pretty good advice, you know it, because some people have a tendency to just keep talking and talking and the and the Bible warns us about, you know, vain words that are of no value. And so we need to think about that. Verse number 8, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination unto the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Whenever I first glance at that and, and you know, the wheels start turning, I start thinking, okay, how am I going to get beyond this one verse here for the rest of the evening? Because there's just that much that could be said about it. And uh, I'm going to try to sum it up as briefly as I can, but this is a picture of worship, and it reveals several important truths. The first thing I notice is that wicked people worship. Notice the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. Really, the sacrifice of the wicked? Why would they be offering up sacrifices? It's because wicked people worship. And here it pictures them bringing sacrifices. That's what was required during the uh, Old Testament. And so you would think, though, that a person that cares nothing about God's laws, has no love for God, would not even attempt to worship God But really, you know, that shouldn't surprise us because there is a God-shaped blank within every person and everyone is looking for something to fill that void in their life. They're looking for something that will bring satisfaction to their soul. Maybe you saw it in the news or read it in the paper or took notice of it uh, uh, on on the Internet or whatever, but um, it so happens that... uh, over in Old Town Spring, now they have a new church started up, the, the Church of Lucifer. It's one block away. I've got a young, I got a young preacher friend, pastors over there, and uh, and it's one block from Scott's church, one block. 
the church of Lucifer. You know, it just blows your mind. I mean, here we are, you know, in the Bible belt of the nation. And years and years ago, I'm talking about 40, probably 40 years ago at least now, a fellow by the name of Anton LaVey started the first church of Satan out in San Francisco. You might know it would be California, but... Uh, but 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 anyway, and it was amazingly popular with a lot of people. The first church of Satan, and now here we've got a church of Lucifer right here. And what it tells us is there's something missing in people's lives. They don't know what it is. Uh, you know, whenever the Bible says, it talks about the fact that there's none that seeketh after God, no, not one. And, and and that's a fact because that's what the Bible says. They're not seeking the true and the living God. They're seeking something to fill that void in their life. And they do not understand that only the God of the Bible can fill that empty place. Life is empty. Life is meaningless without God. So that's the first thing I noticed, the sacrifice of the wicked. But notice not only that. The worship of the wicked is an abomination to God. Now, by that, it means that it's more than just unacceptable. It's actually repulsive. We live in a day where it's politically incorrect to say anything negative about somebody else's religion. You know, we, um, and you, you've heard the old saying, you know, there's... All of the religions are the same. Everybody's trying to go to heaven. They're just taking a different route and, and all, all of that gibberish that, uh, th- that is just totally contrary to what the Bible teaches. But uh, they claim that we shouldn't, you know, ever say anything negative about somebody's religion. And after all, they're sincere. And if they're sincere, why, well, you know, that makes their religion just as good as yours. But that's not true. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. I mean, there is no other way. And notice that their worship here is said to be in an abomination to God. That word abomination, uh, to try to describe it to where we put it in shoe leather and bring it right down to where we live, uh, would imply that it makes God sick. It makes God want to vomit. I mean, that's how repulsive it is to God. It is sickening to God. And, and, you know, if you've never done it, it might be good to just go through the Bible and search out that word abomination and, you know, try to find all of the things that God says are abomination to Him. Uh, But the worship of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. But then notice a third thing here. But the prayer of the upright is His delight. So that tells us that prayer plays an important part in worship. Uh, many of you, probably most of you, went to see the war room, and uh, in fact, it really, I think, impacted a lot of lot of lives. That's why Crystal back there wanted to, and started a prayer meeting six o'clock or six thirty. Six o'clock, where, where I think the meet down at the end of the hall. Is that right? And uh, so any of you ladies want to meet at 6 o'clock with her to pray, uh, that'd be a good thing to do because we all need prayer, that's for sure. But uh, what a lot of you don't know is Brother Darren, and uh, he's not here, I don't think, uh, 
Brother Darren has rented that theater not just that week. That guy has rented. It's still go, still going on. At, they don't have as many, but uh, just this last week he's been doing that. And if nobody else shows up, he and his family stands outside and gives tickets for that movie. And he's had no, probably hundreds of people. Instead of going into some old filthy movie, he said, "Here's a free ticket if you'll go to this one." And they do. And uh, God has spoke to a lot of hearts. And at the end of it, Darren takes time to share a few minutes with the gospel of Jesus Christ with them right there in that theater. You see. And but I'm. I'm getting off track. That movie is all about the importance of prayer. You know, we think that we think we've got to fight every battle and win every war and answer every question. We think we've got to do this and we've got to do that. And the fact of the matter is, Jesus said, "Without me, you can do nothing." I mean, we're helpless without Him. So everything depends upon prayer, and prayer is an important part of our worship, and we need to keep emphasizing that. And then the fourth thing I notice here in this verse, it says the prayer of the upright is his delight. God delights in the prayer of the upright. James chapter 5 and verse number 16 says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We talk about, you know, that... Well, I just want to live my life to please God. and That ought to be our attitude. I want to please the Lord. If I'm never popular, you know, that's all right. I just want to please God. If I, if I never get rich, that's all right. I can live without wealth. I, I, I just want to please God. That's my main goal in life. Listen, if we're being honest about that, we're going to have to pray. Because prayer is something that pleases God. And you mark it down, if we're not praying, we're not pleasing God. And so that alone shows us how serious it is without even talking about our needs and so forth and the uh, reasons why we pray. But if we just look at that one aspect of it, that if I'm going to please God, then it behooves me to spend time in prayer. Now, verse number 9 the way of the wicked is an abomination unto the Lord. Now, we've been talking about worship here in this last verse and how even unsaved people sometimes worship because they're looking for something. But here he speaks about the way. And so this would include a lot of things other than worship. It speaks about uh, your deportment, your manner of life, and so forth. The way of the wicked is an abomination unto the Lord, but he loveth him that followeth after righteousness. And so, you know, now we see why verse 8 says what it does. Since the way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, uh, so are all of his religious endeavors. Kind of like a lot of folks got the idea that a buddy of mine had when we were in high school, and we would just go out and... uh, I shouldn't tell all I know about myself, but I mean, we'd go out and just do a lot of things that were wrong, and and uh, Saturday night get drunker than a skunk, and and sometime before Sunday morning he'd say, "Drop me off down at the church, the Catholic church," 
It, uh, what, do you, what, what are you going to do down there? Well, I, I, I got to go down there to mass. I got I got to be there. Yeah, I got, uh, you know. Uh, and I, I never did understand that. Of course, I wasn't saved, but I don't understand that even to the day. But the point, the point of the matter is, we don't make everything right by running down to the church building on Sunday. You know, in other words. That one day of the week doesn't offset all of the bad living the other days of the week. And so the, the, for, the, for those that are wicked, he says it's an abomination. The way, the way, their lifestyle is abomination to God. But he that loveth him, uh, but he loveth him that followeth after righteousness. That word Followeth the Hebrew word itself is interesting because it speaks about perseverance. It speaks about endurance. It speaks about it's it's a word that would be used back in that day of a hunter in pursuit of game. And uh, so, if you was talking about you know your dogs are uh, running a deer or whatever it might be, you know, and following hard after it and so forth. That This is the idea here. And it's talking about the Lord loveth him that followeth after righteousness. Well, Jesus basically said the same thing. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. That ought to be something that, that we are pursuing in life. Now, when you think about righteousness... There is imputed righteousness. Let me explain what I mean because the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. So none of us have any righteousness of our own. But when we trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, God imputes righteousness to us. That is, He considers us to be righteous. Now, we're not. We're not in a practical sense. But he considers us to be so, and that's why we are justified. Remember that word, justification? Well, that We're justified in the sight of God. That means God treats us as though we are righteous, and he does so because of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there is that imputed righteousness, but there's also the kind of righteousness that has to do with you and I living right. It, it's just that simple. You know, we talk about on one hand being saved, and after we've been saved, there's another word that's sometimes used, it's sanctification. And that word sanctification is related to the word holy. It speaks about us being sanctified, purified, set apart, as it were, for God. That ought to be the goal of every single Christian that we live and pursue righteousness in our life. Remember Matthew 6, 33, you know there's a lot of people that are so worried about their needs being supplied. Well, I, I just, you know, I, I'm not making as much money as I used to. I don't know I'm going to pay my bills. I don't know. I, I can't buy this and I can't do that. And I just don't know how I'm going to make it. But I can tell you how to make it. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. I'm so thankful that I can start to say stand here, sit here tonight, and, and look back. And boy, I haven't done everything perfect. I've made so many mistakes that I'm ashamed of myself. But I'm glad that I can look back and say that in each instance, whenever I changed churches, went to a different church, uh, 
there was never a time I ever inquired is what does it pay? How much does it pay? I, I didn't want to know. I didn't care. It didn't make any difference how much it paid. That wasn't the uh, the critical issue whatsoever. Uh, and I can remember struggling a lot of times, by the way. Uh, but I needed the struggle. It was all for my good, and God knew it. He supplied everything I needed, not everything I wanted. I had a dear preacher friend. He was pastoring, in fact, in Dallas, and and uh, I was uh, at that time up in Missouri. And he just he just begged me to do some get a side job like selling insurance or he said you know do like I do he said I buy old houses fix them up rent them out and he said I've got several old houses now I got a I got a good income from that and whenever you know I get older and I retire uh, he said I'll, I'll have I have some money well two problems with that number one I never planned on retiring still don't. And uh, might get fired, but I'm not going to retire. And, uh, but the other problem was God called me to preach, and uh, and I need to make that my main business instead of selling insurance. And I've just believed with all of my heart that if I do what God wants me to do, God's going to take care of me. That's not, I don't say that because I'm somebody special. I'm not. That's true of all of God's kids. Every child of God can claim that promise. And so we need to follow after righteousness because so much depends upon it. And the main thing that depends on it is what? It pleases the Lord. Now, verse number 10. Correction is grievous. Boy, you can say that again. Huh? Correction is grievous. When I was a kid, you know, and that mom gave me a spanking, and I, you know, I'd try to play the tough guy, and even if it hurt, you know, I'd just grin and and wouldn't let her know. But boy, when Dad got there, it was a whole different ball game then, uh, because uh, he made it hurt. And uh, correction is grievous. Notice, unto him that forsaketh the way, and he that hateth reproof shall die. Uh, you know, if, if we read all of the verses, and I'm not going to read them, verse 22 and verse 31, I see here I've marked that uh, the wise have respect for instructions, but fools despise correction. In other words, it grieves them whenever somebody tries to instruct them or somebody tries to correct them. And notice it says here that their attitude is because they have forsaken the way. They forsake the way. And of course, the, the way is God's way. Correction is grievous. And by the way, the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that that all of God's children are chastised. You've heard people say, well, if I was like you Baptists, you know, if I believed once saved was always saved, I'd just sin all I want to. And I always say we do. We sin more than we want to. Uh, you say, well, but, but yeah, but, you, you know, they don't understand it because they think, well, you, the, that means then if you're a Christian and you've got eternal security and you can't lose your salvation, that means you're getting by with your sin. Don't kid yourself. You don't get by with it. Uh, God's going to chastise His people when they sin. We never get by with it. And uh, and notice it says, He that hateth reproof shall die. 
I preached a sermon many years ago, and I, I don't remember all of the details of it, but I started out talking about the value of our trials. And the Bible says a lot about that. Uh, how we profit from our difficulties, our afflictions, the things that we don't understand. And God puts us th- through those things in order to purify our lives and what have you. But the title of the sermon, Don't Waste Your Sorrow. And, and, and here was the point of it. If you're a child of God and you get out of the will of God, God is going to chastise you. That word chastise doesn't have anything to do with punishment. It has to do with correction. God's not just trying to punish you. God's trying to correct you. And there's a big difference because that means God's doing it for your own good. You see, not because he takes delight in beating his people up. That's not the point. So when we're a child of God and we're out of the will of God, God's going to chastise us. Now, one of two things can happen. We can either get better or we can get bitter. And I'm telling you, even some Christians get bitter. And what happens when we get bitter? Well, whenever we get bitter, that means God has more work to do. That means it's going to get more unpleasant. Don't waste your sorrows. When when you know God is dealing with you, uh, respond to that. You say, well, how do I respond to it? You do what he tells you to do. You just obey his word. Get back in his will. Repent of your sins. Because if you don't do that, you're wasting your sorrow, and you're going to subject yourself to even more, even more hurtful dealings of the Lord in the future. Uh, you know, I, I, for one, I'm glad that God corrects us, and that's why... Some of you have heard me say repeatedly a, a statement I believe it was Spurgeon made many years ago. He said, uh, just kind of paraphrasing it, he said, uh, God never allows his children to sin successfully. And that's right. Think about that for a little while. We never, ever sin successfully. Now, you can sin and you can hide it from mom and dad or your wife or your husband. You know, you can sin, and it seems like you got by with it, but you didn't. You didn't because God is looking. And if you don't believe that, let's look at the next verse, and we'll close. Hell and destruction are before the Lord. Think about that. How much more the hearts of the children of men. Now, the words here translated hell and destruction, hell is... Silo is speaking about the place of the departed dead and destruction. And both of these words has to do with that mysterious world beyond the grave. And, uh, and here it, it, it tells us that, that they are before the Lord. And in verse 3, notice it says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place. And this is an illustration of it. You know, God knows and sees what's going on with those that suffer in hell. Now, this here's the point now. Notice the second part of this. How much more? If God sees into hell, if he is observing what's going on there, how much more the hearts of the children of men? In other words, if he sees the secret world beyond the grave, he certainly sees within our heart. And we might deceive other people, but we sure don't deceive him because he knows exactly what's going on in our life.
I remember several years ago now that uh, there was a situation that that happened, and uh, I'm not going to be specific because this is streaming, and it, you know who who knows who might be listening from out of state that this would have reference to, but uh, but something happened where I, I was sorely mistreated. I mean. It was it was just a bad situation, and uh, I really wanted to get beyond it and get over it. And it's a strange thing, you know, when you get bitterness in your heart at someone, you can move to another state, <laughs> but it's still in your heart. You know, it might be that you don't have to look at them anymore, but it's still in your heart. And it might be that at times you think, you know, I have dealt with that. I have forgiven those people, but it's still in your heart. And the the point is, God knows what's going on in your heart. And, and there were several times I made the comment to different ones. I, I would go somewhere and uh, preachers would ask, you know, uh, uh, how, how, are you, how are you doing? How are you getting along? How's your family doing? They, they knew what had happened and uh, how unfair it was and so forth. And I said, uh, doing fine. Got beyond that. I don't worry about it anymore. I don't have any hard feelings at anybody anymore. And I'm, I'm being honest now. Uh, at that moment, I really thought I had. But then there would be other times something would happen that would serve to remind me of that event in my life, and I'd, I'd have to confess, Lord, I'm still bitter in my heart. And, uh, and God knows that what's going on in your heart. I think it really hit home whenever I started getting reports. And if I sat here tonight and I told you and shared with you some of the shocking things that happened to some of those people uh, that was involved, I'm telling you, you 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 just you, you wouldn't hardly believe it. And uh, the thing that really got my attention is whenever those things first started happening and people were hurting, and I thought to myself, yeah, it's payback time now. And it just hit me like a ton of brick. I don't have any right to feel that way about those people. The only reason I feel that way, and it was like I was almost taking glee in the fact that they were getting hurt. And I thought, dear God, forgive me for feeling that way toward any person on earth because I'm no better than they are. We're all sinners saved by grace. Don't kid yourself, folks. If you've got some bitterness, uh, jealousy, whatever it is, tucked away in your heart, get rid of it. Get rid of it. You say, well, how do I do that? You confess it. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. i got to quit right there, Lord willing. We'll pick up there next week. And thank you for being here tonight. And since they're coming in, we're going to have prayer, and we've got to get out of here then. So let's bow our heads together for just a, a, a moment of prayer. Brother Earl Black, would you word our prayer for us tonight, please?